0: Section number 2 of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristin Zaza. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. Una and the Lion. All this while the Lady Una, lonely and forsaken, was roaming in search of her lost knight. How sad was her fate! She, a king's daughter, so beautiful, so faithful, so true, who had done no wrong either in word or deed, was left sorrowful and deserted because of the cunning wiles of a wicked enchanter. Fearing nothing, she sought the Red Cross knight through woods and lonely wilderness, but no tidings of him ever came to her. One day, being weary, she alighted from her steed and lay down on the grass to rest. It was in the midst of a thicket far from the sight of any traveller. She lifted her veil and put aside the black cloak which always covered her dress. Suddenly out of the wood there rushed a fierce lion, who, seeing Una, sprang at her to devour her. But when he came nearer he was amazed at the sight of her loveliness, and all his rage turned to pity. Instead of tearing her to pieces, he kissed her weary feet and licked her lily hand as if he knew how innocent and wronged she was. When Una saw the gentleness of this kingly creature, she could not help weeping. Sad to see her sorrow, he stood gazing at her. All his angry mood changed to compassion till at last Una mounted her snowy palfrey and once more set out to seek her lost companion. The lion would not leave her desolate, but went with her as a strong guard and as a faithful companion. When she slept he kept watch, and when she waked he waited diligently, ready to help her in any way he could. He always knew from her looks what she wanted. Long she travelled thus through lonely places where she thought her wandering night might pass, yet never found trace of living man. At length she came to the foot of a steep mountain where the trodden grass showed that there was a path for people to go. This path she followed till at last she saw, slowly walking in front of her, a damsel carrying a jar of water. The Lady Una called to her to ask if there were any dwelling place near, but the rough-looking girl made no answer. She seemed not able to speak, nor hear, nor understand. But when she saw the lion standing beside her, she threw down her pitcher with sudden fear and fled away. Never before in that land had she seen the face of a fair lady, and the sight of the lion filled her with terror. Fast away she fled and never looked behind, till she came at last to her home, where her blind mother sat all day in darkness. Too frightened to speak, she caught hold of her mother with trembling hands, while the poor old woman, full of fear, ran to shut the door of their house. By this time the weary Lady Una had arrived and asked if she might come in, but, when no answer came to her request, the lion, with his strong claws, tore open the wicket door and led her into the little hut. There she found the mother and daughter crouched up in a dark corner, nearly dead with fear. The name of the poor old blind woman was Superstition. She tried to be good in a very mistaken way. She hid herself in her dark corner and was quite content never to come out of it. When the beautiful lady Una, who was all light and truth, came to the hut, the mother and daughter, instead of making her welcome, hated her, and would gladly have thrust her out. Trying to soothe their needless dread, Una spoke gently to them, and begged that she might rest that night in their small cottage. To this they unwillingly agreed, and Una lay down with the faithful lion at her feet to keep watch. All night, instead of sleeping, she wept still sorrowing for her lost night and longing for the morning in the middle of the night when all the inmates of the little cottage were asleep there came a furious knocking at the door this was a wicked thief called Kirkrapine, or church robber whose custom it was to go about stealing ornaments from churches and clothes from clergymen and robbing the alms-boxes of the poor He used to share his spoils with the daughter of the blind woman, and to-night he had come with a great sackful of stolen goods. When he received no answer to his knocking, he got very angry indeed and made a loud clamor at the door, but the women in the hut were too much afraid of the lion to rise and let him in. At last he burst open the door in a great rage and tried to enter, but the lion sprang upon him and tore him to pieces before he could even call for help, His terrified friends scarcely dared to weep or move in case they would share his fate. When daylight came, Una rose and started again on her journey with the lion to seek the wandering knight. As soon as they had left, the two frightened women came forth, and finding church robber slain outside the cottage, they began to wail and lament. Then they ran after Una, railing at her for being the cause of all their ill. They called after her evil wishes that mischief and misery might fall on her and follow her all the way, and that she might ever wander in endless error. When they saw that their bad words were of no avail, they turned back, and there in the road they met a knight clad in armor. But though he looked like such a grand warrior, it was only really the wicked enchanter Hypocrisy who was seeking Una in order to work her fresh trouble. When he saw the old woman's superstition, he asked if she could give him any tidings of the lady therewith her passion broke out anew she told him what had just happened blaming una as the cause of all of her distress archimago pretended to condole with her and then finding out the direction in which una had gone he followed as quickly as possible before long he came up to where una was slowly travelling but seeing the noble lion at her side he was afraid to go too near and turned away to a hill at a little distance When Una saw him, she thought from his shield and armor that it was her own true knight, and she rode up to him and spoke meekly, half-frightened. "'Ah, my lord,' she said, "'where have you been so long out of my sight? I feared that you hated me or that I had done something to displease you, and that made everything seem dark and cheerless. But welcome now, welcome!' "'My dearest lady,' said false hypocrisy, you must not think I could so shame knighthood as to desert you. But the truth is, the reason why I left you so long was to seek adventure in a strange place, where Archimago said there was a mighty robber who worked much mischief to many people. Now he will trouble no one further. This is the good reason why I left you. Pray, believe it, and accept my faithful service, for I have vowed to defend you by land and sea. Let your grief be over." When Una heard these sweet words, it seemed to her that she was fully rewarded for all the trials she had gone through. One loving hour can make up for many years of sorrow. She forgot all that she had suffered, and spoke no more of the past. True love never looks back, but always forward. Before her stood her knight for whom she had toiled so sorely, and Una's heart was filled with joy. IN THE HANDS OF THE ENEMY Una and the magician, who was disguised as the Red Cross Knight, had not gone far when they saw someone riding swiftly towards them. The newcomer was on a fleet horse and was fully armed. His look was stern, cruel, and revengeful. On his shield in bold letters was traced the name Sans-Loi, which means lawless. He was one of the brothers of Sans-Foi, or faithless whom the real Red Cross Knight had slain, and he had made up his mind to avenge his brother's death. When he saw the Red Cross graven on the shield which Hypocrisy carried, he thought that he had found the foe of whom he was in search, and, levelling his spear, he prepared for battle. Hypocrisy, who was a mean coward and had never fought in his life, was nearly fainting with fear. But the Lady Una spoke such cheering words that he began to feel more hopeful. Lawless, however, rushed at him with such fury that he drove his lance right through the other's shield and bore him to the ground. Leaping from his horse, he ran towards him, meaning to kill him, and exclaiming, Lo, this is the worthy reward of him that slew Faithless. Una begged the cruel knight to have pity on his fallen foe, but her words were of no avail. Tearing off his helmet, Lawless would have slain him at once, but he stopped in astonishment when— Instead of the Red Cross Knight, he saw the face of Archimago. He knew well that crafty hypocrisy was skilled in all forms of deceit, but that he took care to shun fighting and brave deeds. Now, indeed, had hypocrisy's guile met with a just punishment. "'Why, luckless Archimago, what is this?' cried Lawless. "'What evil chance brought you here? Is it your fault or my mistake that I have wounded my friend instead of my foe?' but the old magician answered nothing. He lay still as if he were dying. So Lala spent no more time over him and went over to where Una waited, lost in amazement and sorely perplexed. Her companion, whom she had imagined was her own true knight, turned out to be nothing but an impostor, and she herself had fallen into the hands of a cruel enemy. When the brave lion saw Lawless go up to Una and try to drag her roughly from her palfrey, Full of kingly rage, he rushed to protect her. He flew at Lawless and almost tore his shield to pieces with his sharp claws. But, alas, he could not overcome the warrior, for Lawless was one of the strongest men that ever wielded spear, and was well skilled in feats of arms. With his sharp sword he struck the lion, and the noble creature fell dead at his feet. Poor Una, what was to become of her now? Her faithful guardian was gone, and she found herself the captive of a cruel foe. Lawless paid no heed to her tears and entreaties. Placing her on his own horse, he rode off with her, while her snow-white ass, not willing to forsake her, followed meekly at a distance. THE HOUSE OF PRIDE Now the Red Cross Knight, because of his lack of loyalty to Una, fell into much danger and difficulty. His first fault was in believing evil of her so readily, and leaving her forlorn. After that, he was too easily beguiled by the pretended goodness and beauty of Duessa. All who fight in a good cause must beware of errors such as these. If matters do not go exactly as we wish, we must not lose heart and get impatient. Even if we cannot understand what is happening, we must trust that all will be well. We must keep steadily to the one true aim set before us, or else, like the Red Cross Knight, we may be led astray by false things that are only pleasant in appearance and have no real goodness. Duessa and the Knight travelled for a long way, till at last they saw in front of them a grand and beautiful building. It seemed as if it were the house of some mighty prince. A broad highway led up to it, all trodden bare by the feet of those who flocked thither. Great troops of people of all sorts and condition journeyed here, both by day and night but few returned unless they managed to escape, beggared and disgraced when ever afterwards they lived a life of misery. To this place Duessa guided the Red Cross Knight, for she was tired with the toilsome journey and the day was nearly over. It was a stately palace built of smooth bricks, cunningly laid together without mortar. The walls were high, but neither strong nor thick, and they were covered with dazzling gold foil. There were many lofty towers and picturesque galleries, with bright windows and delightful bowers, and on the top there was a dial to tell the time. It was lovely to look at, and did much credit to the workmen that designed it, but it was a great pity that so fair a building rested on so frail a foundation, for it was mounted high up on a sandy hill that kept shifting and falling away every breath of heaven made it shake, and all the back parts that no one could see were old and ruinous, though cunningly painted over. Arrived here, Duessa and the Red Cross Knight passed in it at once, for the gates stood wide open to all. They were in charge of a porter, called Ill-Come, who never denied entrance to anyone. The hall inside was hung with costly tapestry and rich curtains, NUMBERS OF PEOPLE, RICH AND POOR, WERE WAITING HERE IN ORDER TO GAIN SIGHT OF THE LADY OF THIS WONDERFUL PLACE. DUESSA AND THE KNIGHT PASSED THROUGH THIS CROWD, WHO ALL GAZED AT THEM AND ENTERED THE PRESENCE-CHAMBER OF THE QUEEN. WHAT A DAZZLING SIGHT MET THEIR EYES. SUCH A SCENE OF SPLENDOR HAD NEVER BEEN KNOWN IN THE COURT OF ANY LIVING PRINCE. A NOBLE COMPANY OF LORDS AND LADIES STOOD ON EVERY SIDE AND MADE THE PLACE MORE BEAUTIFUL WITH THEIR PRESENCE. High above all there was a cloth of state, and a rich throne as bright as the sun. On the throne, clad in royal robes, sat the queen. Her garments were all glittering with gold and precious jewels, but so great was her beauty that it dimmed even the brightness of her throne. She sat there in a princely state, shining like the sun. She hated and despised all lowly things of earth under her scornful feet lay a dreadful dragon with a hideous tail in her hand she held a mirror in which she often looked at her face she took great delight in her own appearance for she was fairer than any living woman she was the daughter of Grizzly pluto king of hades and men called her proud lucifera she had crowned herself a queen but she had no rightful kingdom at all nor any possessions the power which she had obtained she had usurped by wrong and tyranny she ruled her realm not by laws but by craft and according to the advice of six old wizards who with their bad counsels upheld her kingdom as soon as the knight and duessa came into the presence chamber an usher by name vanity made room and prepared a passage for them and brought them to the lowest stair of the high throne here they made a humble salute and declared that they had come to see the queen's royal state and to prove if the wide report of her great splendor were true with scornful eyes half unwilling to look so low she thanked them disdainfully and did not show them any courtesy worthy of a queen scarcely even bidding them to rise the lords and ladies of the court however were all eager to appear well in the eyes of the strangers they shook out their ruffles and fluffed up their curls and arranged their gay attire more trimly and each one was jealous and spiteful of the others They did their best to entertain the knight, and would gladly have made him one of their company. To Duessa, also, they were most polite and gracious, for formerly she had been well known in that court. But to the knightly eyes of the warrior all the glitter of the crowd seemed vain and worthless, and he thought that it was unbefitting so great a queen to treat a strange knight with such scant courtesy. Suddenly Queen Lucifera rose from her throne and called for her coach. Then all was bustle and confusion, everyone rushing violently forth. Blazing with brightness, she paced down the hall like the sun dawning in the east. All the people thronging in the hall thrust and pushed each other aside to gaze upon her. Her glorious appearance amazed the eyes of all men. Her coach was adorned with gold and gay garlands and was one of the most splendid carriages ever seen. But it was drawn by an ugly and ill-matched team— On every animal rode one of her evil counsellors, who was much like in nature to the creature that carried him. The first of these who guided all the rest was Idleness, the nurse of sin. He chose to ride a slothful ass. He looked always as if he were half-asleep, and as if he did not know whether it were night or day. He shut himself away from all care, and shunned manly exercise. But if there were any mischief to be done, he joined in it readily. The queen was indeed badly served, who had idleness for her leading counsellor. Next to him came gluttony, riding on a pig, then self-indulgence on a goat, avarice on a camel, envy on a wolf, and wrath on a lion. Each in his own way was equally hideous and hateful. As they went along, crowds of people came round, shouting for joy always before them a foggy mist sprang up covering all the land and under their feet lay the dead bones of men who had wandered from the right path so forth they went in this goodly array to enjoy the fresh air and to sport in the flowery meadows among the rest next to the chariot rode the false duessa but the good knight kept far apart not joining in the noisy mirth which seemed unbefitting a true warrior Having enjoyed themselves a while in the pleasant fields, they returned to the stately palace. Here they found that a wandering knight had just arrived. On his shield, in red letters, was written the name Saint-Joy, which means joyless, and he was the brother of Faithless, whom the Red Cross knight had slain, and of Lawless, who had taken Una captive. He looked sullen and revengeful, as if he had in his mind bitter and angry thoughts. When he saw the shield of his slain brother Faithless in the hands of the Red Cross Knight's page, he sprang at him and snatched it away. But the knight had no mind to lose the trophy which he had won in battle, and, attacking him fiercely, he again got possession of it. Thereupon they hastily began to prepare for battle, clashing their shields and shaking their swords in the air. But the queen, on pain of her severe displeasure, commanded them to restrain their fury, saying that if either of them had a right to the shield, they should fight it out fairly the next day. That night was passed in joy and gaiety, feasting and making merry in bower and hall. The steward of the court was Gluttony, who poured forth lavishly of his abundance to all. And then the chamberlain sloth summoned them to rest. End of section two. Recording by Kristen Zaza. Toronto, Ontario.